um, what I love about how God is involved in this church is Josh didn't know what I was preaching on this morning. In fact, at first sight, you would look at the next part of the series and and this song wouldn't necessarily be what jumps to mind, but um, I'm just so encouraged because my the essence of what I'm preaching about this morning is God being near. And so uh, I want us just to spend a couple of minutes praying around that and ask his presence to be really tangible uh, as we hear his word. Let's just close our eyes and let's just quieten ourselves just for a minute. Lord, I thank you for your promise to the whole Bible, the promises entwined throughout that you will never leave us nor forsake us, you will always be near, that you will be our God and we will be your people. And Lord, I pray, we pray together this morning that God, that we would hear your word, Lord, a a rhema word that drops into our spirit, that, God, we would just sense your closeness and your nearness, and that, Lord, that your word would drown out every other thought, doubt, unbelief that is inside of us. That, God, that we come to you with such a myriad of different experiences, even from this week, and, God, we just lay those aside, and we just place our attention on you. We fix our eyes and our mind upon you, Jesus, and we would ask that you would speak, Lord. That, God, we would sense your nearness in a new way. Lord, I pray that these words just won't be empty phrases, but, God, that they will be backed up by your presence and by your power. We thank you, Lord, that that is your promise, that your word will never return to you void. So, God, I pray that we would find good ground in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 In the fall, I uh, I spent some time sharing very much from the heart as to where I believe over the summer God had speaking been speaking to me very clearly about the nature of church and and why we do what we do. And I shared that I'd grown up with the idea that a successful church was essentially about filling a room. That if we could uh, find out what worked and very pragmatically continue to do that more and more, then people would come and and that would be a win. That would be successful. And and the seeker-friendly church movement that started in the late 80s was very much about that. The seeker-sensitive church services where where people, where we, we took away every barrier that was in church in order to welcome uh, people in 
uh, to, to meet with God. And the idea is beautiful. It makes sense. You know, why wouldn't we want to uh, remove every barrier to make church a place where people feel welcome? We absolutely are, are all about that. But even now, Bill Hybels, who was one of the main instigators of the seeker-friendly church, and, and Rick Warren and Saddleback there, they, they did a, a Rick, um, Bill Hybels did a study um, not, uh, just a few years ago as to where those people are now in comparison to the massive success that those churches experienced and the numbers growing and uh, many people coming back to Jesus or knowing Jesus for the first time. Where are they now? Where is that spiritual maturity? And, and I have to respect his findings. He had great humility uh, in saying that actually he, it, it had been a failure his words, not mine. That actually those years on, that the spiritual maturity wasn't there. That the, the, the seeker-friendly, the, the let's remove the cross. I, mean, I don't think Bill Hybels went this far, but let's remove the cross. Let's not talk about sin. Let's not talk about the wrath of God. Let's just make everything very grace-centered. Hadn't worked and people had strayed, the spiritual maturity just wasn't there. So filling a room with people doesn't necessarily deepen lives. And I shared over uh, the summer, I'd really been wrestling with this and doing a lot of praying and reading as to what is it that we are about as a church? Is it just that we want to fill a room in this gathering? And as wonderful as that is and and great as that is, we, I looked at the scriptures and I found some main kind of tenets as to what the Bible should be about, uh, sorry, church should be about. I, I saw prayer, I saw mission, I saw, I saw the Spirit of God, I saw generosity. And how do we as a church do that? And Jesus himself at the end of his ministry, and you can read it in John 15, was talking to his disciples and he said, you're going to do greater things than I am. Uh, and, and here's how you're going to turn the world upside down. It's not going to be by methodology. It's not going to be by doing cool things on a Sunday morning. And, and, and that's not going to be the way you do it. The way you do it, Jesus was really clear in John 15. He says, abide in me and I will abide in you. And, and he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Verse 9, abide in my love. He said, that is the key. You've got to abide. The, the church filled with people who are abiding in the love of God is the key to seeing this world turned upside down. And I wonder, like, I, I actually believe very sincerely that what people who don't know Jesus or people who are seeking and don't know what they believe yet, what they really want more than anything else is not cool services and as much as we enjoy that, and there's nothing wrong with that, but what they really want is to come into contact with a real God who changes lives, a supernatural God that impacts and deepens lives. I think what they want to see in church leaders is a man or a woman who is sincerely connected with a divine God. I think a church leader who is passionate and abiding and has a sense of God in everything and truly believes in the gospel is what truly people want more than anything else. There's a sincerity to that. There's a power to that. There's an unearthliness to that that is insanely attractive to our hurting, lonely, and desperate culture. 
And when we come to the Lord's Prayer, and we've been studying this over the last few weeks, and, and again, I appreciate the way that it's speaking to you, and, and many of you have commented on how you've been seeing this in a new way. We come to it, and we come to this new verse. Uh, last week, we looked at your will be done uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Then verse 11 today we're looking at is give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Bread. This verse has been a, a cause of some confusion for commentators, and there's many different interpretations to it that we can over-spiritualize it and say, well, it's referring to the bread of heaven, the bread of life, that it's Jesus, that we're praying for more Jesus, and then other commentators will say, well, actually, Jesus has already given all of himself, so it's not about bread as in bread of life, it's, it's more about the practical aspects of of our needs being met, but then you and I, I don't know, certainly me, I love bread and I spend most of my time avoiding it, and so I'm not sure whether I want to pray for more bread, because, you know, every time I see it in my kitchen, I kind of go, I really want that, and I can't have that, because bread is bad, that, that's what I've been drummed into me now, that's, that's just not good. So how do we approach this verse as a, as a nation, and let's be honest, I'm not sure if any of us in this room feel the need to pray for our next meal to come into the house. Maybe some of you have been in that place. 30,000 children a day die from starvation or easily curable diseases. We have a desperate need, do not get me wrong, we have a desperate need for this world to have their needs met. And for some it is Give us today our daily bread. But for us in Kelowna in 2018, do we really resonate and connect with the idea of praying that God would give us bread? Last week I said, if you remember my analogy about tuning a guitar, that E-A-D-G-B-E, the tone of the guitar, the chords, the notes never change. Uh, and and the, as you tune a guitar in, what you're doing is you're aligning the sound of the notes to what is a standard. The prayer of the Lord is like that. It's like God, it, like Jesus in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, is saying, this is the standard. This is the note, if you will. This is the chord that sounds true and perfect. This is the design. This is the way life should be. And you, as in you and I, need to have our lives transformed, tuned in, so that we resonate with that which we've been designed to do. And as you explore the prayer, what you find is that we've said is, you know, our Father is the intimacy in heaven, is the infinite. And, and what Jesus is doing is, is he's basically saying, as you pray this, you are being tuned in to the way things should be. It's less about twisting God's arm to give us stuff and more about us being transformed into an image that we've been created to be. And you might, be, uh, you might be an unbeliever this morning. You might not be sure what you believe. But I think we can all say that there is a disjoint in what we know to be right and the reality of what's actually going on in our world and in our personal lives. And how we bridge that is really the journey that everybody is on. Some people bridge it by possessions. Some people bridge it by success. Some people bridge it by, you know, jumping in an old Volkswagen van and traveling around the world. You know, people try and fill this gap as to what life should be. Jesus is saying, as you pray this prayer, you will be transformed. 
So if we look at this verse, give us this day our daily bread through that lens, it becomes more about what is it that we need to be transformed in, what thinking needs to be straightened out, rather than just, there's many facets to this, rather than just praying that God give us today our daily bread. When we read this verse, very understandably, we're listening to this. We read it from the point of view of our Western mindset. And what's very helpful sometimes when we're actually, or often when we are trying to interpret what the Bible says and how it's relevant to today, is we need to hear the verse through the ears of the people that were present. And uh, so when Jesus said, pray like this, give us this day our daily bread, something would have triggered in the mind of the people that were listening. They wouldn't have heard it like we just heard it. Well, I don't want more bread. Carbs is bad and yet so good. They wouldn't have thought it in that way. What they would have thought immediately, their minds would have gone back to a period of their history when they were wandering around the wilderness. They would immediately have thought about the bread, the manna that God gave every morning. This strange substance that was fine, that would appear on the ground every morning, that they would collect in, that would only last a day. And if they didn't use it, it would go to waste, it would go moldy. This constant provision that God gave every day. So when Jesus said, give us today our daily bread, the first thing they would have thought about was that period of history. It's really important that we remember that. We can't think like Westerners right now. We have to think like the Eastern mindset with their culture and history. Give us today our daily bread. This manna literally means, what is it? (laughs) In the Hebrew, it means, what is it? I love that. So technically, we're actually saying, uh, give us today our daily, what is it? What is it? That's what manna is. But you see, God chose to give them manna in a very specific way. He could have easily said, I'm going to give you a week's worth. It's like a week's worth big shop. There you go. Fill your bags, take it back. We're not going to do this every day. He could have given them a month's worth. He could have done it in a myriad of different ways. He chose to do two things every day. And this is really, this is so worth meditating on. I wish I could go into it more. Every morning, they would have come out of their tents, the wilderness journey from Egypt to the promised land for 40 years. From a certain period on, they would have come out of their tents and they would have done two things. Guaranteed, they would have done two things. First of all, they would have looked to the sky. Because in the sky, there was the pillar, the cloud. And if the cloud moved, they moved. At night, it was the pillar of fire. If the fire moved, they moved. So you can imagine, just put yourself in their place, coming out of their tent, they would have done this, and the first thing they would have looked at is gone, are we moving today? What am I doing today? They would have looked to the sky. The next thing they would have done is they would have looked to the ground. Has God provided today? Has God given us manna? What am I going to eat today? What am I going to do today? What am I going to eat today? You see, what God was doing every day was he was training them, tuning them in, reminding them of something just like Jesus is in this Lord's Prayer. He's saying this, I provide everything for you. Your basic necessities are there by the will of the Lord. Every day we can look to the sky and say, what is it you want me to do today, God? 
Every day we look to the ground and say, God, what is it that you, you're going to provide? What can I be grateful for that you're providing? God is tuning the Israelites and he's training them. It's so important we understand this. He's training them to understand that he provides everything to them every day. And Jesus is reminding them in the Lord's Prayer of the exact same thing. He's re- focusing them on the today. You need God today. For your basic necessities, you need him today. The other thing that he was reminding them of, so not only that they are completely dependent on him every day, he was also reminding the Israelites of another thing that is equally beautiful and profound. He said this, basically. He said, I'm the God of the ordinary, not just the spectacular. I want to provide the bread of your life. I'm interested in just the basic necessities. That he's intimately involved in every aspect of, of our lives. In our day and age, we have this beautiful, wonderful opportunity to go to big, powerful, impressive conferences or churches where the anointing and power of God is present. We go or we provide camps for our children. We, we have rush youth conferences and we love that. We celebrate it. It's part of what God is about, but it's only part of it. Because we need to be careful as moms and dads and friends and and grandparents not to teach our next generation. Indeed, we need to be careful in ourselves not to train ourselves that God is only present in the spectacular. He is the God of the ordinary. He is the God of the everyday. And oh, he's so part of that crusty bread that we all long for. That even... As you read the scripture, he's part of the, of the flight of an eagle. He's the part of the wind that you feel in your face, the snowflakes that feel, touch you on the face again. He's part of every aspect, every part of this world, the Bible says, is held up by God. Now, science wants to debunk that, but at the same time, we desperately want and need that. Because without that, Control without that beautiful uh, handheld God holding the the, the, the the Bible says that the span of his hand holds the oceans and he can he can span across the universe this incredibly powerful God we need a God that powerful who is intricately involved in every aspect there's sometimes I, I really the internet drives me quite insane and a video popped up on my post on my Facebook feed a couple of weeks ago. And the, and the, and the title um, intrigued me. So I pressed play, and what this video was, it was about five minutes long, and these world-class top mathematicians and physicists and, and people who are just the top of their game when it comes to science were basically communicating this. And I'm sure if anybody listens to this, you can pull what I'm about to say apart because I haven't got it all right. But this is the, the general gist of what they were saying, was that the universe is so perfect... I agree with that. That this could not have been happened by accident. This is good. I agree. That there are so many fine, the fine-tuned arguments, we would call it, it's so finely tuned that even if it was some aspects of the universe were a millionth of a millionth off, then life would cease to exist. I'm still with you, friends. This is good. I'm liking this video. That the only way that that could have happened was not by evolution. Oh, I'm liking this. This is great. They're going to say 
that a God, a designer is behind it because it's so obvious that the universe shouts that out. And if you want to hear more about that, listen to my sermon on Psalm 8 from the summer where we break this apart. I'm thinking, this is great. He said, so it can't be evolution. It, it, it can't be. What it is, is we all live in a matrix. Oh. That we're all, this is just a perfect computer program. And that we're all going to, like when we die, we just get rebooted. And I'm like, you had it so good for like three minutes. And then what? We're in the matrix? That is your answer? It's like, you remember when Pilate had Jesus stood right in front of him. And and Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? And he stood right in front of him. He is the way, the truth, the life. And he's like right there. And Pilate is looking past him going, no, it can't be you. Must be, must be the Matrix. Insane. I mean, it's fascinating what the world we live in. But you see, I believe in a God who controls every aspect, and we need that God. There's something inside of us that wants that God. We don't want a Matrix. We want a God. So God is part of the ordinary and the spectacular. Remember Jacob, when he was traveling, he was Jacob and Esau. Esau was the hairy one, and Jacob was the, the one who liked to, you know, cook and, um, do, uh, uh, and do cross-stitch and that kind of stuff. And, you know, he, was, he just enjoyed that kind of work, and that's fine. He was probably more arty, and Esau was just like, I'm going to go out and kill stuff. And the two brothers, they fall out. Jacob ends up uh, deceiving, and then he runs, and then he has this incredible dream. In fact, the scripture says that he stopped nowhere in particular. That's what the place is called. And he had this dream. And you remember the dream of the ladder? The ladder stretched off into heaven and there was angels descending and ascending on the, on the ladder. And then God said this to Jacob. He said, I am with you and will watch over you. That was his promise. I am with you, Jacob. And then Jacob, when he comes around from the dream, he says this, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Now, if you're journaling, you need to write that down. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. So he calls it a special name. He calls it Bethel, or Bethel, which literally means where God is present. Surely... The Lord is in this place and I did not know it. You see, God is the God of the ordinary as well as the spectacular. You see, Jacob saying Bethel is where God is present. This place went from nowhere in particular to God is present. Do you see that? Same place. Nothing had changed. Had Jacob God hadn't changed. God was always there. We've just said that. You know, we said that where God is present. So this place went from nowhere in particular to God is present. Friends, is that not the story of our lives? Is that not the reality that we should be living in? That we live our lives not recognizing that God is the God of bread, that he's the God of the ordinary, not just the spectacular. That he is present in the places that you don't think he is. Do we live oblivious to the truth that God is present everywhere, that he is present in every aspect, even in the ordinary, even in the stuff that drives us insane, even in the stuff that just seems mundane and boring. He is there as powerful and as present as he is in the best worship conference you could go to at Bethel. 
He is present. He is the God of the ordinary. And the manna was a reminder. I am intricately interested in the mundane. And and did they? Boy, they got sick of that manna, didn't they? Oh, if only we were back in Egypt. We were great in Egypt. We had meat. We had barbecues. We had, you know, we had all the food we wanted. They'd forgotten. They're in slavery, crying out for freedom. And you see, when we get to the point where we look at the God's provision on a day-to-day basis, and we look at it with disdain, wishing that it was more spectacular, what we're actually doing is we're pushing down the beauty of, of the idea that God is intricately involved in every aspect of our lives. Let us never get to the place where we look at our lives with disdain because it's not like Egypt was. Because Egypt sucks. It was a place they were desperate to get out from. And he gives them every day. Give us today our daily bread. It's a recognition of that God is the God of the ordinary. And he is intricately involved in providing every aspect, every experience, every moment. So you can walk down the street and feel the wind in your face. And you can quite biblically say, God is in that wind. God is here right now. God is part. He is near. He was in this place and I did not know it, is what Jacob said. Give us today our daily bread. Focuses is on a beautiful promise of abiding. Remember I started by saying, Jesus said, abide in me. Live your lives cognizant and conscious of me. Live your lives through the lens that God is near. Live your lives through the lens of knowing that God is present even when you don't sense Him, even when you don't want Him there. It made me laugh when I was preparing this. I thought of the times that I have been told, like you go to the movies and you see a movie that you probably shouldn't be there. And you're like, well, would you watch this if Jesus was sat right next to you? And you remember that? Have, have any of you had that? Would you be doing that if Jesus was in the room with you right now? What horrible theology. Because he is. (laughs) Sorry, children. He really is. He's right there with every website. But it's not through this kind of threat where Jesus stood there like that. At it again. No, it's not that. Jesus' presence, his love, his abiding, his passion... Is rejoicing over you. Remember we talked about how God likes us, leans into us, enjoys being around us. This is my child. Have you ever been around a new parent? Oh, they're wonderful. They're hanging on every little squeak that baby is making. Looking at their fingernails, especially the little pinky one, or better still, the tiny little toe nail. You're like, how is that possible? Well, apparently it's the Matrix. I don't know. give a parent long enough they're going to point things out they're going to want you to see things in their child that they can go yeah you're right i'm glad you brought that up their fingernails are pretty amazing aren't they i've got pictures you want to see them you know that's what we're like as parents god is like that with us as his children he is present that statement he's in this place and didn't know it really profoundly affected me this week And I started as best as I could, starting to look at everything that I was doing through that. He's in this place. 
He is near. He's in this place. And as we pray, God, give us today our daily bread, what we're doing is we're actually praying, God, I thank you that you are part of what is going on. Yes, Lord, you provide my needs according to your riches in glory. God, you are the one. You are the God of the ordinary. You are intimately and intricately involved in the tiniest aspects. And we can pray that back to him. And we can ask him, but we do it through the lens of him, knowing that he is present. He is near. So that relationship... He is near. He is present. Those friendships, He's close by. Those friendships that you're feeling that maybe I shouldn't be part of, He is part of. Your workplace, this this idea where we separate Christianity to the rest of our lives is so far wrong because the rest of our lives is Christianity because God is near in the shops, making dinner, yelling at somebody in the car, whatever it might be. He is near, but not in a threatening with a big stick kind of way. But he loves us. Central promise in the Bible is this. I will be with you. Jesus' name, Emmanuel, God with us. Revelation, I will be with you. I will never forsake you. Be courageous. I, as somebody very thoughtfully sent this verse completely out of the blue to me this last week in Deuteronomy about God being with me to be courageous, that he will never leave us or never forsake us, even when it feels like he is distant. He will never leave us. For those who struggle with anxiety and worry, you can't pray this. Forgive us today our daily bread and live in, notice I use the word live in, anxiety and worry. We can struggle with it, but we never resign ourselves to it because it's contrary to the recognition that he has got you. I will be with you. Do you remember in Jude, he says, I will keep you, your mind. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. You might want to write these down. Colossians 1 verse 16 to 17. Just to, just to encourage you about this truth. Colossians 1 verse 16, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So think about your day tomorrow. Just in your mind's eye, have have a consideration of what your normal Monday looks like. From the second, it doesn't start when you wake up, but from the second that we become cognizant of being awake, which for some can take several hours, depending on the amount of coffee, everything that we do, we can start celebrating his presence and his closeness. Because we've just read, all things were created in him, for him. All things were created through him and for him. Everything that we do. Imagine what our lives would look like if we truly lived and believed this. A beautiful, wonderful little book uh, by a, 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 a 16th century monk called Brother Lawrence. I'm sure many of you have read it. Uh, Practicing the Presence of God, I believe it's called. Um, and it's a small book, and it's just a little bit of these letters and everything that he wrote. Because he made a decision early on on his uh, career in monking, uh, called to ministry. He made a decision that he was going to make every effort to bring his thought back to God 
all the time. Now, you need to understand, his job, he went from being a, a, a kind of a, um, um, a, a, like a potato peeler, dishwasher in a kitchen, to later on being somebody who repaired sandals. So you're talking about mundane, day-in, day-out existence. And it's a lovely book because what it actually does, it takes you on a bit of a journey as to what starts happening in his life when he starts living through the lens of God is here. He, co- he consciously brings his thoughts and prayers back to the presence of God all the time. His life is radically changed. Listen to, listen to a couple of things he says. And I hopefully they'll, they'll appear on this. It starts with, let us occupy, Dwayne. Let us occupy ourselves. So this is Brother Lawrence writing. Let us occupy ourselves entirely in knowing God. The more we know him, the more we will desire to know him. So you get into this cycle. The more you think about him, the more you want to think about him, the more you read about him, the more you want to read about him. The more you pray to him, the more you want to pray. As love increases with knowledge... The more we know God, the more we will truly love Him. We will learn to love Him equally in times of distress or in times of great joy. That our sanctification did not depend upon changing our works, but in doing that for God's sake, which we commonly do for our own. Think about that. That which we commonly do for our... uh, Sorry, but in doing that for God's sake, which we commonly do for our own. So what tomorrow would you normally do for your own or maybe for other people that you can now say, I'm going to do this for God? And I will assure you, it takes a massive amount of reconditioning, retuning, changing of minds. Like Romans, the renewing of the mind. It's tuning in. It's give us today our daily bread. You are part of the ordinary. You are intimately involved. You are part, as much in the ordinary as you are in the spectacular. You are in, as much in this car driving to work as I am in the middle of a wonderful conference or in the middle of a forest listening to worship music. You are here, God. You are here. And you start, you start living that way. It takes practice, and you have an enemy that's going to do everything he can to distract you. But here's what will happen. Suddenly, you won't want to watch those TV programs. You won't want to read those magazines. And that's his experience. Brother Lawrence would say that even picking up uh, straw suddenly became an act of worship to him. Even turning the pages of a book became an act of worship to him. That sends shivers down my spine because if Brother Lawrence can do it, his promise from God is exactly the same as our promise from God. I am with you. He's here and we don't even know it. Look at another quote. One way to recollect the mind easily in the time of prayer and preserve it more in tranquility is to not let it wander too far in other times. Remember Paul saying this discipline? We have to discipline ourselves. You should keep it strictly in the presence of God and being accustomed to think of him often, you will find it easy to keep your mind calm in the time of prayer or at least to recall it from its wanderings. What struck me when I read this was something that I heard many years ago is that the quiet time, devotional time, should be a continuation of the rest of the time. That yes, there are times when we sit, we, we sit down and it's important and we need to. And there are special moments to be had. But that is fueled by our attention to the Lord the rest of the time. 
And so you can dig out your Bible and start praying, and, and that's good. We want you. Yes, God wants that. But then for you to put that away and go, well, I did my daily bread. I'm going to get on with the rest of my life now. Same time tomorrow, God, maybe. That's not the Christian life. That is living life through the lens of being completely oblivious to the truth that God is present. So how do we do this? How do we live cognizant of the presence of God? How do we, well, well, we start by praying. Give us today our daily bread. God, give us the enabling. Give us the ability. Today, let us focus on the daily wonderful provision. And yes, you pray. Yes, you ask. Yes, you cry out. Absolutely. But you do it under the umbrella of knowing that he is intimately involved already. It's not like you're waking him up and rattling his cage and saying, hey God, what about this? He's already in this. And we need to align ourselves with that. What I love about this particular message is it's very, very practical. Today, we can start living this out. Today, we can start practicing his presence. Today, we can start aligning our mind with his mind. But it takes discipline. It takes work. And as Brother Lawrence reminds us, as we spend more time with him, the easier it gets. So absolutely, we need to almost ignite, if you like. And I believe in the morning is the best time that we, as priority, is we turn to the word. We read. We pray. We journal. We worship. Whatever that rhythm, whatever that routine looks like, that's where we start the day. Because there's something prophetic about saying, my day stands on this, God. And I'll promise you, probably before you even leave home, especially if you have children, there'll be lots of opportunities for distraction. Even without children, there's lots of opportunities for distraction. And it's just called social media and email and everything else. But imagine living today. To that today, Lord, this, I, I, when we get up and sing in a minute, I'm going to stand in the presence of God. I'm going to sing like he's right here, and he is. As I leave, I'm going to talk, and I'm going to connect with people like Jesus would want me to, because he's present in that. I'm going to do all things for the glory of God. So how do we do this? We align ourselves in the mornings, I believe, with what the word has to say. Let me finish with this. Jesus reminds a character in the New Testament called Nathaniel about Jacob's ladder. He says, you will see heaven open and angels ascending and descending. He goes on basically to say this. He says, I am the ladder. He's, he's communicating that this has been fulfilled because I am the connection to heaven. He says, Nathaniel, I am here. Heaven came down to you and lived with you, and is part of you. But friends, Willow Park Church, we have something better than Nathaniel had. Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away, because I'm going to send the comforter, the teacher, the Holy Spirit to you, and he's going to fill you. So we have the very presence of God, not just around us, but in us, through the gift of righteousness, through the gift of his Spirit, through the gift of the cross. See, heaven came down and died on the cross. Why did he die? Because without any flippancy, it was either him or me that I truly deserve for the willful sins. I, tr- I deserve punishment, but how, how can God be a God of love and, and punish? 
Because he is God, and the same God that you say is the God of love comes from the Bible. It says he's loving, but it also says that he is holy. And therefore, his holiness dictates justice. And justice dictates that there must be punishment for those things that we've done wrong. It is not just, it is not loving to allow somebody who is clearly guilty just to go free. So much more that God, like I said last night, that the one thing that God wanted more than his son to live, God, if there's any other way, let this cut pass from me. What God wanted more was not his son to live, but for us to live. For us to live in the presence of God. For us to be filled with the spirit of God. For us to live in the freedom of knowing whether there's distress or there's joy, he is with us. Our world desperately needs this truth. So imagine, I don't know how many people are here this morning, but imagine if every one of us went out with the determination in our heart that we were going to live out the presence of God, our city would be impacted within days because of the circles that God is placing us. We can become ministers of reconciliation. That to me, like I said at the beginning, is what church is about. Not gatherings. This is wonderful. And I love this and we will continue this faithfully. What church is about is at the end when we sing our song and I read a blessing over you is we go in the presence of God, in the ability of God, filled with the presence of God through the gift of Jesus on the cross. He died to be with us. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask Josh and the team to come up and just maybe just play as they sort themselves out. But I just want us to close our eyes just for a minute, please. Just for a minute, let's just tune our minds, maybe through prayer, maybe just quietly give us today our daily bread. We just turn, like the scriptures say, our attention upon him. We fix our attention upon him. And we just become grateful that he is with us. He's with you. Christian brother or sister, he is in you. He's around you. He loves you. He is here. He is Emmanuel. For those who don't know him, he is here. He loves you. He sent his son to take the punishment that we truly deserve. He loves you. So let's just spend a minute or two just praising him in our minds before we worship for that truth.
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, I pray that as we come to worship you now, that, Lord, that we would be so aware of your presence in us and around us, the precious gift of your Spirit. And, Lord, I pray that as a church and as a family, that, God, that every step we make will be done in glory and in recognition of the presence that you are with us. Lord, every phone call, every email, every interaction, every drive, every decision, every thought, every word, every relationship and friendship and marriage, every class, every situation, Lord, I pray that you would ignite a revelation in us of your presence. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that all this is possible because of your willing sacrifice on the cross. That while we were still sinners, you gave yourself to us. You died for us. Thank you, Lord. Wonderful Savior. Praise your name.